You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a real privilege to always have the privilege of sharing the Word of God. It's great, but to come but to the home base and be able to preach is a great, great privilege. So thank you to the team for inviting me, allowing me to be here, and just to share. Uh, I'm glad TK repented. I think there's some others <laughs> in this room who were at this leadership meeting yesterday. I heard they asked and nobody had a, no one believed, so... I'm not sure I can do it again, so I'm just giving you a heads up. But, but uh, TK kind of asked me if I would just share, on, to, to be honest, my favorite, favorite subject. And it was that on the centrality of Christ, but also with a leadership kind of twist towards it, just in light of your, your leadership meet, uh, weekend. And both of those are major subjects, plus the book of Acts. So three subjects in 30 minutes. Good luck. But the Lord is with us. So... If you've got a Bible, go with me quickly to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Um, and let me say this. I'm going to stick to my notes. If I do that, I can get it done. So I do believe that the need for our time is authenticity. How many of you agree with that? Authenticity is probably the most... Anyway, let's stick to the notes. So I think our artificial fixations probably best illustrated by the guy who tried to get rid of mice in his house. He went and bought a mousetrap. Uh, and then he came to realize that he didn't have any cheese. So what he did was he found a picture of, of cheese in his magazine. He cut it out and he put it in the mousetrap and went to bed. He woke up the next morning to find a picture of a mouse in his mousetrap. <laughs> I want to say this, friends. A counterfeit lifestyle produces artificial results. I know you've been doing a series through the book of Acts, Wildfire, great name, it's great truth. My dad always used to teach us, if you want New Testament results, you've got to stick to New Testament pattern. And that's why I think the book of Acts is such a great book to see the model, the demonstration, the pattern of the church living in what it is God intended for His people. I want to just highlight and glean some of the things we can glean from the book of Acts, some truths First and foremost, that God reigns. Despite circumstances, God reigns. Another thing we see in the book of Acts is without His presence and His power, we can do absolutely nothing. Another thing I want to say from the book of Acts is that God wants His church to grow. Something else is that the people in the church were willing to work hard and beg God to intervene on their behalf. I also want to say that a praying church is unstoppable. Mm, okay, no, no, amen's there. Read the book of Acts. The church also, and this is probably one that's challenging to us, is that the church had to let go of the comfortable and the familiar in order to fully follow Jesus and advance His gospel. Another thing which is also going to challenge us this morning is that the message of the church was Jesus. It was not a political message or a social message. They didn't try to legislate morality. 
Simply, they preached Jesus. The church was also passionate about seeing people come to Christ. The crowd's opinions always changed. Just read the Bible and through the book of Acts. And the church leaders knew that. And they weren't focused on people's opinions. They were focused on Jesus Christ. Another thing I want to say in the book of Acts shows us, if Jesus isn't setting us on fire, then the fire will go out. Wisdom for leaders in the local church also is plentiful and available if we would only ask Him and seek His face in these days. Another thing is that vision that comes from the heart of God is what the church desperately needs today. And you know, with this whole leadership emphasis, God was raising up leaders. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see God was kept on raising up leaders who were willing to embrace their calling. One group of people were not expected to do everything in the early church. And when people embraced God's calling on their lives, the church grew in impact and influence. See, I recognize this is a leadership context, a sense that we're emphasizing leadership, and I want to tell you that leadership is incredibly strategic in the plan of God. I recognize in this room that some of you have had bad experience, maybe good experience, or just no experience. I don't know where you're at, but, but here's the thing. God does very little except through leadership. From Genesis to Revelation, whenever God wanted to do something with His people, He looked for people to respond and lead His people into the things that He had for them. Genesis to Revelation and every text in between. And I want to say that we need to understand that God's solution for increased burden as He keeps growing what He's doing and using people to increase an impact, His solution for increased burden is increased shared burden. We need to share the burden together. It's not for a handful of people to do it all. And that's a mindset that has to be broken. And, and can I also say that we need a, 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 we don't need a worldly emphasis or understanding or view of leadership. I think that there's too many worldly leaders in the church and not enough church leaders in the world. I also want to say we don't need too high a view of leadership. You know, the leadership in the kingdom is God-given. It's not earned. It's amazing how we can give glory to people who've done nothing except receive. It's God-given. It's not earned. God doesn't pick people who deserve. He picks people He chooses. And I love that because what I've been given is given by God. Nothing earned. I'm the least of people expected, but God chooses, and I say thank you, and, and I appreciate that we need to honor the gift, but we don't glorify people. It's God-given, and we give glory to God. But in saying that, there's a reaction. We also don't want too low a view of leadership. That leadership doesn't matter. It matters. And when we see that, we need to understand it is God's way. God's always about that. But leadership in the kingdom, friends, it's influence. It's not control. And I think some of us had a bad experience because we, we've seen controlling leadership rather than influential leadership. But God's way is to influence people, not to control them. And if that be true, then here's the deal. All of us in this room who are following Jesus all have a sphere of influence where we are influencing people, being an example, and taking people with us, regardless of your position in this church. Can I say that a good leader knows the way, a good leader shows the way, and a good leader goes the way. 
it, it was uh, John Quincy Adams who said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, to learn more, to do more, and become more, well, then you're a leader. It, it's not your words, it's your actions, our example. We know the way, we go the way, and we show the way. Friends, that's what's needed, I think, in today's society. And we need leaders who are marked by the living presence of Jesus that inspires others to bold faith. We need example leaders. We need servant-hearted leaders. We need leaders who are submitted to Jesus. We need leaders who, can I say, are obsessed with Jesus. We need leaders who are more like Jesus. We need leaders who are simply following Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says some radical, a radical statement. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Can I suggest what he was actually saying is, Paul, I, Paul, in myself, I'm not worthy of following, but Paul, the follower of Christ, follow me. In other words, follow me as much as I'm following Christ, should be what he said today. But can I say that that is probably a pretty audacious statement to make for the average modern-day church leader. It presupposes that the things I spend my time doing if carefully imitated, would have a kingdom-revealing effect. It presumes a level of spiritual integrity that is wide open to personal inspection and private scrutiny. In other words, what it means is if I claim to be a follower of Jesus and my life was to be investigated, I would be found guilty of being a follower of Jesus. Not by what I say, but by what I do, but the life that I'm living behind closed doors. And, and I'm challenged by that because Paul was able to say, follow me, imitate me, do what I'm doing because I'm following and imitating Christ. I wonder if that'd be true for us this morning, friends. I, I'm challenged, I hope you are, that it's not what you say, it's what you do. Would you be found guilty if life was to be investigated that you truly are a follower of Jesus? See, much is said about the marks of effective leadership today. But what is missing, I believe lost amongst all the voices, is the assumed but often most neglected foundation of all leadership. Our day calls for a resurgence of Christ-like leadership. Leaders known first and foremost, not for their compelling gifts, or their charismatic communication, or their influential leadership, but leaders known for the fact that they are be continually shaped like Jesus Christ. Here's a few clear ways that people can tell. How about humility? See, Christ-like leaders reject prideful posturing and give preference to humble, empowering leadership that seeks to promote the best for others. It's worthy of note that the early apostles took pride in nothing other than Jesus. How about service? They're not there to be served, but leaders who are there to serve, which is another proof of being becoming more like Jesus Christ. Christ-like leaders who will pour themselves out in burden-bearing relationships that models love in action, not in word, but in action. They model their king by laying aside claims to, of power or privilege 
and pour themselves out in selfless deeds of service that only God sees. What about courage? Christ-like leaders take risk that are unexplainable apart from Christ's leading. They are attuned to the activity of the Spirit and take courageous steps into uncharted territory without worrying about the cost. To them, because of the vision is so clear from God, it takes more courage not to obey than to do what it is He's called us to. How about boldness? And I want to tell you, courage and boldness are not the same. Boldness. I believe courage and boldness go hand in hand. And, and boldness, may I say, when these four, humility, service, courage, and boldness are linked, they link together because without, boldness without humility creates leaders who say the right thing, but in a manner or a tone that repels rather than compels people. Courage without service produces leaders who are willing to take risks, but they do so in a way that communicates that the outcome, the result, is more important than the people that the project is designed to, 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 to reach. We care more for results than we do about people. And let me tell you, Jesus never cared more about results. He cared about people. When you combine all of these character virtues, I believe it's a compelling answer of the leadership crisis that faces the church today. See, following Jesus, friends, it's personal. That's what this is all about. And can I say this? Jesus is always going somewhere. So my followership will be distinguished by the fact that I'm moving with him and I'm going to places that I might never go if I left to my own devices. And also like Jesus, I don't go alone, but I inspire others to pattern me and to go with me. But unfortunately, I believe in today's church, we build our discipleship models with the expectation of motionless followers following a passionless reduction of a missionary Jesus. See, I, I believe our greatest challenge to this day, still in the church today, is the truth about who Jesus Christ really is. How we see Christ, the battle, the greatest battle in the kingdom is the truth about Jesus. You want to know truly what this church believes about Jesus because that's what reveals the truth about this church. What is it as our lives, individuals here this morning and for Redemption City Church, what do you believe about Jesus? That reveals the most about who we are. And can I suggest it reveals the most about the future God has for us. See, I, I, I think our, Christ, our Christology determines our missiology, and our missiology determines our ecclesiology. How many of you are impressed with those words? I mean, sounds impressive. Let me bring it down to my level and some of yours this morning. What that means is our revelation of Jesus determines our mission here on earth, and our mission here on earth determines what the church is. But may I suggest in our today's society in the church, it's about the church. And then we realize, gee, we better do something with them. So let's find a mission for people. And we throw them to some mission to do something. And then we realize in Christmas and Easter, whoa, Jesus needs to be included in this. And so we tag Jesus on. We've got it back to front. We need to flip the switch. We need to put Christ first because our revelation of Jesus determines our mission here on earth. And our mission will determine the church, who we are. And the mission came before the church, if you read the Bible. Are you with me, friends? Colossians chapter 1, quickly, please. In verse 13, says this. For He has rescued us. 
from the dominion of darkness, and He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Can I just say we've been rescued out, and we've been brought into. Not just rescued, you rescued and brought into. And can I say from the domain, the dominion of darkness, meaning that sin has been broken, the power of sin has been broken on us. I'm saddened to see how many believers struggle with sin. And I want to tell you, you're forgiven of sin. Absolutely, that's awesome. But more awesome, the power of sin's been broken. Not just you're forgiven, the power of it's been broken. Been rescued from the domain of darkness. Been brought into the kingdom. The Son, He loves, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image, not the sun outside that we don't have right now, but the sun being Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. How many of you think He is needed? Wow. I think so. Verse 18, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He may have supremacy or preeminence. In other words, Jesus Christ has been given first place in everything. All things, everything, he may have supremacy, preeminence. May I ask you and I this morning, does Jesus truly have first place in all our lives and in all circumstances and situations? And, and I'm not saying we're there, but we best get there if we're going to live in the bigness and understanding of the revelation of what God's called us to, friends. See, I believe Jesus is prominent in many of our lives and certainly becoming more prominent in the church today. But prominence is not what it's about. It's about preeminence. First place. Not he has a place. He has first place. That's what it's centrality of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about. He declares that everything finds its meaning and significance in Christ. Jesus Christ is the central theme and the focus of everything you and I are and everything we'll ever be. And he must be at the center of all things, both in our individual lives and in the church. We claim he is, but is he? And I'm challenged. A.W. Tozer said this, The present position of Christ in most churches may be likened to that of a king in a limited constitutional monarchy. The king has no more than a traditional rallying point, a pleasant symbol of unity and a loyalty much like a flag or a national anthem. He's admired He's celebrated and maybe even supported, but his real authority is small. Nominally, officially, but not in reality. He is head over all, but in every crisis, someone else makes the decision. Best explained like this. Where's my son? Joel, will you help me, please? This is the best way I can explain the centrality of Jesus Christ. And I, I would, Thank you, my son. This is Joel, my son. What a legend. Thank you. Absolute legend. What does this say here? Life. Life. Let me just, again, these are huge subjects, but I just want to tell you this. Your life does matter. Every individual in this room, you better know this, because if you don't know this, it's hard to reach other people when you haven't realized your worth. 
I don't know all your stories and I can't even comment on them because half of you I don't know. But you might be born out of wedlock. You might not even know your parents. I don't know. I'm saddened by your history, but your life matters to God. It does. I mean, go read Psalm 139. For you created me in my mother's womb. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. All these works ordained for me were written in a book before one of them came to me. Friends, it speaks of dignity. It speaks of future. It speaks of destiny. Thank you. But can I also say it speaks of duty? All that was ordained for me before I was born has been written. No man can mess that up. Live in the freedom that God has laid out this great destiny for every one of us. We've got to believe this, friends. I, I honestly believe if Jesus, if I was the only person on this planet, Jesus would have come just for me. And I'm no better than anyone in this room, so you better believe that for you. It's not about the millions. It's about the individuals that make up the millions, including you in this room this morning. So it is about you, and Jesus loves you. And, and it was Winston Churchill who said this, we make a living by what we get. But we make a life by what we give. I wonder what life's about for us because God has duty and destiny written all over us. And so your life matters and it is all about you, but it's not all about you as you'll see in the next context. I believe our lives are in the context of the local church. You note that I didn't say the church because everyone loves the church because it's called out and we're just part of this thing that floats around. No, no, local church. Reading the book of Acts, you can't see people separated from being connected to the head. The body's got to be connected to the head, and you've got to be connected. I'm preaching to the converted, I know, because you're here this morning, but are you connected? Every priest needs a hood. Every tree needs to be planted. It's true. Every sheep needs a pen. Whatever your thing is, can I suggest, you can't grow unless you plant it. Connected. Bring in your leadership and all that you are. We've got to be serving We've got to submit and serve, not in the church, as the church. But you've got to bring all you are and be connected, friends. Bring your family. Bring your gifting. God's way is connected to the local church. It really is. And if it's not this church, with all due respect, find the church it is. But this is a great church. And if God has you here, get connected. Because God sees your life in context of a local church. Psalm 92, what does it say? That the righteous will flourish in the house of the Lord and they'll continue to bear fruit. Why? Planted in the house. Are you planted in the house? Next one, Joel, please. So your life is in the context of the local church. This is the American dream right here. But God's dream is different because the local church is in the context. You heard of this? Great Commission. You heard of that? Probably missionaries have, but the church needs to. See, Jesus didn't leave this for the missionaries. This left us, the last words of Jesus to his disciples was this. Great commission. It's great commission. And he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. And surely I'm with you. I'm with you when you're doing what I've called you to do. Acts chapter 1, you guys are going through the book of Acts, wildfire. You'll receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. What's he saying? You'll be witnesses everywhere all the time, not a tag on when you go to Africa. Are you there, friends? 
This is God's mandate for the church, and everybody understands. Your life is important, and it matters, but it's connected to the local church, knitted in, submitted, serving God as the church, through the church, connected, bringing all that we are into the context of the Great Commission. Next point, Joel, please. Great Commission as a context. Would you agree? I love this Great Commission. I, I honestly do. For Jesus' last words, well, I want to make it my first work, first work. I want to give my life to the words Jesus left for us. I want to just travel the world. I want to give a daily, everyday life. I want to serve the Great Commission. How many of you want that? David Livingston, you know what he said? How is it to be commissioned by an earthly king would be an honor. But when we're commissioned by a heavenly king, we see it as a sacrifice. Let's look at the honor of being commissioned by a heavenly king. What a privilege to be entrusted. But you know the Great Commission has a context. It's called the gospel. Can you see that? You know the gospel. How many have heard the gospel? If you haven't, you're not saved this morning. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. How many of you believe it still saves Americans today? Absolutely, good enough. It's good news. And I want to tell you, we can't be ashamed. The context of the Great Commission is the gospel, the good news. And I want to say two things about the gospel. Number one, it's to be told to the world. In our cities and in our regions and in our schools and in our home plate, wherever we are, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's, be, it's the good news. And it's only good news if it gets to the people before they die. Otherwise, it ain't any news. And so it's good news for all people. And it was Charles Spurgeon who said, it's the whole duty of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. It's good news. It's not about taking bad people and making them good. It's about taking dead people that are everywhere and making them alive. That's the gospel, right? But secondly about the gospel, not just told to the world. It's got to be taught to the church. You see, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Who's he speaking to? Not the world, to the church. You see, it's the standard for Christian living. Is the gospel conducting ourselves worthy of the gospel, in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's the regulator for our relationships in this place, friends. I mean, friends, I've been in church all my life, and you've seen and I've seen the nonsense that goes on. And can I just be straight up and say, if we catch the gospel understanding, we work our stuff out. That my issues with someone can actually hinder the progress of the gospel going from this place. If I carry issues and bitterness and hurt and resentment and all the stuff, we unforgiveness, we've got to get free. And when you get the gospel, you can work with anyone and you'll connect with anyone and you'll sort our stuff out because it's the gospel. But you know the gospel has a context. Thanks, Joel. The gospel has a context. Have you heard of it? The kingdom. Do you see that? Somebody said to me at halftime that, you know, that you're living in, this is old school. We could use slides for this, right? I said, yeah, but it doesn't make the point. And that somebody just handed out bags to get money. I said, you know, we could use the ba uh, internet banking too. That's also, anyway, let's just carry on. But anyway, uh, are you with me? Sorry, I lost some of the young people there, but we'll get back. What is this one here? Gospel, don't mess with me, please. My time. Gospel's in the context of the kingdom. 
Oh, kingdom. Yeah, kingdom. America, we broke away from kingdom. We don't dig the whole England thing. So we said, hey, cheers, we're going to do our democracy. Great. It's awesome. And I, I praise God for our democracy, although we're a republic, but that's another story. But I love democracy. I love democracy. Because, I mean, it gets, everybody has a say. Everybody's equal. Yes, but not in the kingdom. We are still part of a kingdom. God's not playing democracy in the kingdom of God. So the church can't get democratic. We've got to understand we are part of the kingdom of God. And so the gospel's in the context of the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom. They preached the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules and reigns, that's the kingdom. So we've been given and trusted. We are not the kingdom. Can I say this? The kingdom is in us and we are in the kingdom, but we're not the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. And I'll tell you why. Because I've seen the church split all the time. Shake all the time. Why is that? Well, the kingdom can't be shaken, so therefore the church is not the kingdom. However, we are the agency, according to Matthew 16, of the agency or the vehicle that brings the kingdom, brings something of heaven here to earth, brings the rule and reign of God. We all have that role, not just the preachers and the leaders. Every one of us get to administrate and influence and bring something of the kingdom, the rule and reign here on earth. May I tell you about this kingdom, friends? That only in this kingdom, only in this kingdom, when you put up the white flag in surrender, do you find victory? Everywhere else, when you put the white flag up in surrender, it's defeat. But only in the kingdom of God, when you put the white flag up in surrender, that's the place you find victory, my friends. And we've got to live in that place of constant surrender, to live in the place of constant victory. Not a one-off, it's a surrendering. And the thing about the kingdom is it doesn't revolve around the subjects. It revolves around the king. So this kingdom, and you'll notice this was a different size, not because we've run out of chairs, because this is more important than any of this. Yet many of us on our causes make this, but this, the gospel, the kingdom is in the context of not a king, the king. Are you, are you with me? See, centrality of Christ. Well, this is how I best see it. Can I bring this here? Are you, Joel, can you help me? Sorry, bro. Just put it in the middle here, please. I want to say this. Friends, this is the point. I'm, I could have just got up and showed you this and sat down. I believe the best way to live out centrality and understand it is the king, right? My life. See this? My life is actually in the context of the king. So pause for a moment. Think about that. We're talking about following Christ. We talk about we need more leaders that are followers of Christ, representing Christ. Well, it means that this life that I've been given has to come to the place of recognizing daily that there's a king that I live with and I live for. Which means, honestly, if you're married here this morning, if you have the privilege of being married with all the difficulties that come with marriage, I'm a better husband to this wife of mine if I understand my life in the context of a king. The three sons that I'm privileged to lead, I'm telling you, friends, I'm a better father, not because I read books, because I've recognized this revelation. My life is in the context of a king. I'm a better friend. I'm a better gift. I'm a better leader. Whatever I'm called to, you want to be influential, you've got to live in this place of my life in the context 
of Jesus Christ. That gives you significance and value. And that's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. May I then also say the local church is actually in the context of the king. See, the danger in leadership is we either, we want people to come, so we want to please people. And that's awesome. But if we're pleasing people, we're probably not pleasing the king. The danger for us is we put our stuff on our leaders, say, lead us with us in mind. And the Lord says, no, no, lead this church with me in mind. Love these people with my revelation. Tell them about me, not about you and your ministries and your gifts. Tell them about me and get this world ready for me because I'm coming back and most people don't even think about me, even in the church. But we would put away some of the great teachings and we get back to the revelation of Jesus because that matters most. And this thing of the church has to get this revelation and live with this constant. Local church has a context called the king. This great commission is in the context of the king. The gospel is in the context of the king. The kingdom is in the context of the king. I ask you this morning, if this be true for all of us, me too, not a moment this morning, a livestock. Can you imagine? See, I believe if truly, if truly we're living for the king, then in three things as our land. Number one, we're seeking the governance or the governing of the king in our own lives. Which means I dethrone myself and I put him back on the throne, not once off, every day of my life. He governs me. I don't govern him. Secondly, we're seeking the guidance of the king. In other words, he's leading us, he's speaking to us, he's telling us, we're not telling him. And thirdly, we're looking for the glory of the king. Meaning that Jesus is glorified in everything we say, everything we do. We're presenting Christ to the world. People see Christ in us, more of him, less of us. My friends, that's something of the lifeline for this church, for every individual. God wants us to stay in that place. And this centrality of Christ is not a message we, we speak of yearly. It's a daily, daily individual response of leaders and individuals saying, follow Christ, submit to understanding the big picture of the centrality of who Jesus Christ is. Be better leaders and influencers in the right way and be found guilty of being a follower of Jesus if your life was ever investigated. Let's pray together. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's stand. <clears throat> As I said, we had an amazing leadership summit, and this is part of it. God spoke to us yesterday, man, just prophetic words. And often in those contexts, there is an adjustment necessary as God speaks into your life. And I, I feel this morning, again, Sandy and I went to bed last night just going, God is not done with us. When we closed the leadership summit yesterday, God's not done with us. And, and I, I don't think we can preach a message like that and go, well, I've got all that right. I'm perfect. I think there's adjustments necessary. And I, I'm just going to ask. I'm going to ask Ty to pray for us. But this is business between you and God. It's business between you and the King. So I don't need you to raise your hands, kneel down. Just you know if there's an adjustment necessary 
along this pathway that Ty has done such a great job of describing for us. If that's you this morning, can you just open your heart, open your spirit, just allow Jesus to speak, to guide, to govern, and to lead you into what He has for you. I'm going to ask Ty to pray for us. Just allow God to minister to you. And then when Ty's done, we've set out the elements. You can go and break bread if you want. Just do, let's just do business with our King this morning for a few minutes. Thank you, Lord. Okay, just take a moment before I pray. Let's just respond as individuals. I need my prayer. Just where you're at, just do business. Thank you, Lord. saying basically everything finds its significance in Jesus <laughs> probably another thing most needed in our world everyone's looking for significance even in the church ministries marriage family but you can't have significance without Christ that's where it is for individuals lives matter only in Christ and Lord I, I pray for me and us in this room this morning I pray Rather than concepts and slogans, cliches, centrality of Jesus, it'd be reality this morning. We know this truth. We know this well. You can't read the Bible without seeing this in every page. But that doesn't mean we're living with it and in it. We don't want to see it in paper. We want to see it in our lives. We don't want to have seen it. We want to see it now. And I pray for me and my friends in this room, Whatever needs to be done, would you help us do it? Whatever needs to be adjusted, maybe we got to see you the way you really are rather than see us the way we think we are. King, not Lord and Savior, but King. Bring revelation this morning. It's not cause-driven. We want to be kingdom people. We don't want to get off on a cause. We don't, we don't want to mobilize people to things that don't represent what you're about. More than that, we want leadership that reflects Christ. We want to be more like Christ. And people see Christ in us. Not, wow, you're awesome. Wow, the Jesus you represent is, is awesome. I pray that this morning for me and for my friends. Bring life and freedom. You are worthy of it all, Jesus. I just pray for absolute breakthrough this morning. I pray for the centrality of Jesus to not be a theme, but to be a reality of life. Marriages, to come back to that revelation. Individuals, to come back to that. Leaders, to come back to that. The Great Commission, to be centered around Christ. The Gospel, not to forget about Jesus. I pray for the future of this great church as you unpack it and reveal more. Let us be a strong, healthy people obsessed with Jesus. Have your way, King Jesus, as we surrender to you. Give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.